We are in a series on the 12 Psalms of David called Outcry. David penned a lot more than 12 Psalms, but for some of the Psalms, he tells us the historical situation that gave rise to the Psalm. And so we get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord in his times of distress. He cries out to the Lord in praise, God, I'm so glad you're on the throne so that I can be confident that everything is going to work out fine. Sometimes he is just uh, considering God's wonderful deliverance in the past, and he is saying, thank you, God, and, and encouraging God's people to join him in praise of God. Very few things that are as important spiritually than knowing how to cry out to the Lord, knowing how to bring your inner life before the Lord in whatever circumstance and work it through in faith and in prayer. And one of the reasons that we have the book of Psalms is because God's people have found it very um, healthy, necessary to be able to have models of prayer. And so in the book of Psalms, we see God's people over the course of hundreds of years, who cried out to the Lord in faith in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. And sometimes we even let their words speak for us. Sometimes we just read their words and let their words articulate the cry of our heart. Well, today we are looking at Psalm 34, the historical situation. Let's start with the historical situation. And we read about that in the superscript of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. What's that about? Well, we learn about this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. We can read this story. By the way, the superscripts were added uh, by those who compiled the book of Psalms, so David didn't write the superscript, but it is considered part of sacred scripture. It's been around uh, since before the time of Christ, and Christ treated the superscripts as scripture, and so should we. So, if you go over to 1 Samuel 21, you can read about this episode in David's life where he uh, was almost killed by the Philistines. David was serving Saul, but Saul became jealous of David. Saul was the king of Israel at the time, and God had told Saul, due to your wickedness, I am removing the throne from you and your family. I'm going to give it to another. And so Saul became uh, paranoid and suspicious, and his suspicion fell right onto David, and rightly so, because God had chosen David to be the next king. And, and Saul decided, you know what, I'm going to just thwart God's plan by killing David. If I kill David, then obviously he can't take the throne from me. And so he embarks on this mission to get David and kill him. Well, Saul's own son, Jonathan, loved David and was submissive to the will of God. And so he warns David, my dad is trying to kill you. You've got to run. And so David flees from the presence of Saul. And so apparently David thought to himself, I'll go to the Philistines because the enemy of my enemy is my right. And so the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. And so David apparently thought, I'll just go down to Gath uh, and, uh, and just the king of Gath, uh, the Philistine city, he'll take me in and he'll shelter me because he figures, hey, keeping David alive is going to, you know, create turmoil in Israel. It sounded good. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. 
And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they, the Israelites, did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck his thousands and David his ten thousands. It's probably more raucous than that. And and so David, uh uh-oh, what are they saying? These are... These are the servants uh, of Achish saying, this guy's our enemy. They sing songs about him. He's killed tens of thousands of, of us, right? Philistines. There are wives who don't have husbands because of this man right here in our city. There are moms who don't have their sons right here because of this man. He's an enemy. And what should we do with enemies? Yeah. Verse 12, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Hey, wait a second. This plan isn't going so well. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. I'm not going to do that. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, You see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this... You feel that way too, don't you? Do I lack madman? Man, I got enough of them. Shall this... My kids. Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And he writes Psalm 34 to celebrate this uh, great deliverance, escape from this very tight corner. And so, let's read Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David believes that all God's people who hear his personal testimony of deliverance should be encouraged because he realizes that his deliverance is is, uh, simply a testimony to a much greater principle at work in the world, which is this, God cares for his own. And David is, is saying, look, the humble, the Christian, should hear my story and, and be comforted and be encouraged, be glad. Why? Because they'll recognize in, in my story of deliverance this wonderful truth that God cares for his own. I like how David goes from personal testimony to larger principle here in 4 and 5 and then in 6 and 7. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears, personal testimony. Now he expands it to the principle. Those who look to him are radiant, 
on their faces shall never be ashamed. There's the principle that applies to you and me and all God's people. Verse 5, or verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Personal testimony, and now the principle. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. If you're a child of God, you should be encouraged when you hear the testimony of God's people. When they say, let me tell you about how God healed me of my sickness. Let me tell you how God restored my marriage. Let me tell you how God brought my wayward child back to himself. Let me tell you how uh, I got fired from job A, but the Lord uh, uh, opened up another and better opportunity. These are all just uh, glimpses into, and in a sense, proof of this larger principle at work. God cares for his own. And so David says, because of this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. I love that. Now, David was a man of the world. And by that, I mean, this guy was active. I mean, he was king. He had a lot of responsibility. He was a general. This guy was a mover and shaker. He was engaged with real life. He was not off in a cave uh, meditating. He was, he was active. And yet he says, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Praise is on the tip of his tongue because God's on the forefront of his mind. Don't you love that? He can go through life making a real difference in the practical and yet at the same time be extremely spiritual. We don't have to go uh, hide out in a cave in order to be spiritual. We can be real people and have a really vibrant relationship with God. But it's about, you know, it's about our attitude. It's about how we view life. David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Why? Because David goes through life recognizing God is good toward me. And I need God in my life. And I am thankful that he's in my life. And I'm going to constantly invite him into my life. That's the kind of person I want to be, right? Well, David, in this psalm, lists a whole bunch of ways that life is better with God. When God is on your side, life is simply better. And I want to just uh, not miss these. I want to walk through them. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. People who look to the Lord, they're radiant. Why? Because they're confident. They're assured of good things in their life. And you know what? Their faces shall never be ashamed. Why? Because their faith is not misplaced. I have never met somebody who said, I I went 100% after the Lord. And boy, that was a mistake. I regret that. He really let me down. I don't hear that. Why? Because when you look to him, you're making an absolute sure bet. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You are safe. 
How, how do you like that? What a picture. God is camped all around you so that the enemy can't get to you. You are safe. Those who fear the Lord are safe in his mighty care. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. They have no lack. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. If you seek the Lord, you're not going to miss out on anything of true value. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you're not going to say no to sin and its temptations and its allure. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I like the the imagery of the lions. The young lions suffer want and hunger. Now, um, you can't can't think of, of someone who's just more naturally gifted, more naturally powerful, more naturally capable to take care of themselves than a than a lion, right? They've got the power. They're king, king of the animal world. And yet, and yet they sometimes suffer want and hunger. But not those who seek the Lord. Because we're not depending on our own power. We're depending on the power of God who who overcomes all circumstances. I don't care how smart you are, how wealthy you are, how well connected you are. At some point, you're going to come up against uh, the, uh, the capricious, precarious uh, circumstances in our world. It's brokenness, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to overwhelm you. But if you seek the Lord, he'll take care of you, and you'll lack no good thing. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The eyes of the Lord are, he's watching you. But not negatively. He's watching you to see how can I help. He's listening you to you in case you cry to him. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. My favorite verse in the Bible is in Second Chronicles. Can't even tell you where. It just says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth seeking to uphold those whose hearts are completely his. I love that. He's looking for those whose hearts are completely his. How can I help? It's like a mom. She can be in a conversation, and yet she's always got one eye on her kids. Do they need me? Are they crying for, my, for, for help? That's the way we've got God's attention. Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, David is not saying, hey, God will ensure nothing bad intersects your life. No, the the Christian can be brokenhearted. The Christian can be crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The Lord is near. See, there's the difference. God's right with you. 
in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your affliction. He's right with you, and he will ensure that you come through it. Even if coming through it means resurrection from the dead and eternal life with him in heaven. And finally, verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. At, at the at end of days, we will see how God worked all things out for good in our lives. Even our own failures. Hear that. Even our own failures. Nothing in the life of his servants, will fail to be redeemed. It will all be redeemed. It will all have a good purpose. And we will say in every aspect of our lives, ah, God, you you are good in that. You were good toward me in that. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. By taking refuge in him, we're We take refuge in his son, Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, we're never going to hear. The gavel's not going to come down and say, guilty, I condemn you to hell. It's going to be your sins are forgiven because of Jesus Christ. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Quite a picture of a blessed life, right? And who doesn't want that? I think that's the question David asks in verse 12. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh, Like everyone. What man isn't there, right? I mean, who in the world doesn't want life, many days, and seeing good? Who doesn't want a, a long, good life? Of course we do. We all want that. And David is, says, let me, let me tell you where you get that. You get that in a relationship with God. See, God, his care is available to all, but not all receive his care by their choice. And David does point that out here. God is not, you know, for everyone. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So God is not for everyone. He's actually, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to the, for the purpose of cutting off their memory from the earth. That's significant. So that they will no longer be remembered. Assuming Hitler and Pol Pot and Osama bin Laden and Stalin and others didn't repent at the last and receive Christ. Do you know there's coming a day where they won't even be in our history books? They will just simply be forgotten. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. David doesn't spend too much time in this psalm on the wicked, but it certainly uh, it's clear. We don't want to be wicked. We don't want to be those who hate the righteous. We don't want to be on God's bad side, right? We want to be uh, someone for whom he cares. Now, traits that trigger God's care. David paints a, a really full picture 
of the kind of uh, traits with uh, human traits that trigger the care of God in our lives. And so I want to I rehearse these because uh, these are stated for a reason so that we can pattern our lives accordingly. So the first trait that triggers God's care, we find in verse 2, let the humble hear and be glad. Humility. What is humility? Well, here it means giving God credit. It says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Give God credit. Uh, Later today, I have the privilege of... um, marrying Justin Myring and Leah Dubber. And one of the things they have instructed me to do is, Mike, make sure that you um, tell people that our getting together is uh, due to the goodness of God toward us, not because we're super beautiful and put out the vibe. So we want to be humble. Number two is, uh, secondly, we find in verse five, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to him. To, when you look to God, you are dependent on the Lord. You're saying, God, I'm looking to you for... Think about a friend of mine who um, asked me if I would pray for him every day this month at 1 o'clock. And so my phone now prompts me to pray for him. Why? Well, he said, look, I, I have an anger problem. And I've had an anger problem for too long, and it is eating me up, and it's ruining my marriage, and it's harming my kids. And I've got to have God come through. And so he is spending this month in uh, some intensive anger management, and and he is asking for prayer. He is is, uh, looking to God to set him free from this uh, root of, of anger that's in his life. He's asking that God will just reach down and pull it out of him, and set him free so he can be a man at peace. You know what? Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. He is not going to um, regret, depending on the Lord there. Thirdly, find in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, those who fear the Lord. Well, we're told a little bit more about... uh, what fear of the Lord means in verses 11 to 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Here's what it means to fear the Lord. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So to fear the Lord is to, 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 to have right words, right actions, right pursuits. Keep your tongue from evil. Let no unwholesome thing proceed forth out of your mouth, except only that which is profitable. Uh, And then thou shalt not lie. Right actions, turn away from evil and do good. And then right pursuits, seek peace. And that peace there is uh, not just harmony, it's peace in terms of uh, right relationship with God and other people. Uh, in, rooted in truth and love. So the person who fears the Lord is the person who acknowledges there's coming a day in which I'm going to have to give an account to God for the way I've lived my life. Someday I'm going to either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you, or 
you're getting into heaven, but, you know, barely, because you squandered everything I gave you. And we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints, who are the saints, those who are called by his name. So, modern day context, it's the Christian. For uh, Verse 10, those, the young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Verse 8, those who take refuge in him. Verse 8, those who take refuge in him. So to take refuge, it, I think about a cave, right? And you get into a cave when there's an earthquake, for example. You're taking refuge. I don't know if that's smart, but that's what I was going to do. No, here's a better. Okay, a bomb shelter in a hurricane. There we go. That's better. And so do we take refuge in God? Do we trust him in the midst of our uh, difficulty and with the, 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 the desires of our heart? Am I entrusting those to the Lord? Then it's his saint. That's the Christian. Then verse 10, uh, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So to seek the Lord, uh, what does that mean? I put here seeker, but here's what I think that means. To seek the Lord is you're saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your mind on the matter. I want to know your will, Lord. I want to know your truth. I I want to have a a deeper personal relationship with you. This is the person who reads her Bible and prays, right? It's definitely a part of it because you are are saying, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm not okay with just this level of a relationship. I want to constantly know God better. And you know what? When we seek the Lord, we lack no good thing. I tell you, I, I have gone, my motivation for why I, I pray uh, has gone through many stages. And, but right now, my primary motivation is because I don't want to miss out on on God's blessing in my life, right? I want to say, God, uh, I need, I want your wisdom. I want to know your will so I can do it. And I want you involved in every aspect of my life. So I'm a- I ask God uh, to be, basically, I just watch my mom and then do what she does. And <laughs> mom prays for the most inane things. And it, but it uh, challenges me spiritually because I think, you know what? Why do I think that that's not important to God? And do I really think I don't need God's help and power in that area of my life? What does that say about my heart? It just says, oh, I've, I've got it myself, right? So, so we pray, we seek the Lord, and we want to seek the Lord in all, all aspects of our lives, and, and we will be blessed as a result. Next trait, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And the righteous, I think, are just those who keep the commands of Christ. They are keepers of Christ's command. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Here, I think it's the needy, those who are aware of their need. You've got to be aware that you have a need for God and his life and his power and his grace in your life. If not, why will you go to the Lord? You're not aware of his need, of your need for him. And then finally, verse 22, 
The Lord redeems the life of his servants. My life is God's to command. I'm a servant. I don't sit on the throne of my life. He sits on the throne of my life. I serve him. So there's David's uh, picture. He's really painted a portrait of the kind of traits that we want to cultivate that, that call forth the care of God in our lives. Now, I want to end on verse 8. This is an invitation. I love this invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right. What's that weird food that you like and you're, you have a hard time getting other people to try it out, right? Uh, salt on watermelon. No, no, it's good. You got to try it, right? Or some kind of funky food and you've tried it and you're like, this is amazing. And, and, and then you're trying to convince your friends and you say, come on, just taste it. You'll see it's really good. You just got to taste it. It's so frustrating when they won't taste it, right? You're like, trust me, it's really good. You're going to love it. Well, that's David. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David is, is he is just um, uh, satiated with God. He's overwhelmed with God's goodness. He's basking in God's good care in his life and for his people. And he's like, come on, would you just taste it and see that the Lord is good? Try him out. And I know that that's been the cry of our hearts for people that we love that don't yet know the Lord, right? Family members, co-workers, friends, neighbors, classmates. And, and we love them. And we're like, but you're missing out. You're missing out on God. Just try him out. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 